Welcome back to the Harvard Center for International Development Speaker Series podcast. I am Ana Alvarez, and this week I am joined by Peter Sands, Executive Director at the Global Fund to Fight AIDS, Tuberculosis, and Malaria. I'm sitting down with Peter after his appearance at the Harvard Kennedy School's JFK Junior Forum on catalyzing global leadership to contain the impact of COVID-19 on October 28, 2020. Welcome, Peter, and thank you for joining us. Great to be here. So, Peter, could you start by sharing with us a little about the Global Fund? How was it created, its objectives, as well as your role in it? The Global Fund to Fight AIDS, TB, and Malaria was created in 2002, and it was created really in response to the exploding crisis of AIDS in Africa. And the idea was that there needed to be a global response to what was then the big pandemic of the time. And in designing it, the combination of people who made it happen, which was an interesting combination, actually, it was a combination of people like George W. Bush, Jacques Chirac, Bill Gates, Kofi Annan, a sort of interesting mix of people who drove it. They decided to make it not just about HIV, but also the two other big infectious disease killers in the world, TB and malaria. Since then, the Global Fund has saved 38 million lives. And broadly speaking, the number of deaths per year from HIV, TB and malaria has halved. But still, those diseases kill something like two and a half million people a year. And to put it in context, COVID so far this year has killed I think about 1.1 million people. Prior to the COVID-19 pandemic, you were already leading efforts to address two big pandemics affecting humanity. Could you tell us how the context looked before the COVID-19 outbreak and how has this pandemic changed the outlook for global health? Well, we had made significant progress in reducing deaths from HIV, TB and malaria. So over the last decade, sort of a 45% reduction in deaths. But we had not made as fast progress in reducing the number of infections. And ultimately, if you want to get rid of these epidemics, you have to get rid of the infections. So in terms of our target, which is to eliminate them as epidemics, that doesn't mean to eradicate them, but to get rid of them as public health threats, we were not on track. And so in 2019, we went back to our donors and said, for the next three years, actually, we need more money to get back on track. And we raised a record-breaking $14 billion to get us back on track. So actually, we began 2020 really excited at the prospect of having 23% more money that we could deploy in countries and really step up the pace of reducing both mortality and infection rates across the three diseases. That was where we were before COVID. And how has it changed now after COVID? Well, COVID has turned everything upside down. In the early days of the crisis, with our technical partners, WHO, UNAIDS, and so on, we did a lot of modeling. And it was horrifying, the prospect. We could see scenarios in which we could see a doubling of mortality across the three diseases. And that meant giving up a decade's worth of progress. 
and it wasn't just theoretical. We also run biweekly surveys of all our programs across over 100 countries in the world. And 70% of them were experiencing significant levels of disruption. So we acted very quickly, both internally and with our partners, to find ways to both help the countries we're investing in respond to COVID, but also to mitigate the impact on the HIV, TB, and malaria programs so that these life-saving programs could continue even if there were lockdowns, disruption to supply, and so on. So countries now are facing an extremely hard context in which they have had to reallocate a significant share of their resources to respond to COVID-19. But how is that affecting the fight against TB, AIDS, and malaria? And from your perspective, what are the most pressing issues that cannot be overlooked? This issue of diversion of resources has been a real challenge, and it's probably most acute for TB because TB, like COVID, is a respiratory disease. So the first specialists and laboratory technicians and so on who got redeployed to COVID were those dealing with TB. And indeed also in many countries, the laboratory instruments that were being used to do molecular diagnostics for COVID were the ones that we had put in place for TB. So the answer to this, a couple of things. First is it's really important that the metric of success in mitigating the impact of COVID is not just the number of people who die who test positive for COVID, but takes account of the knock-on impact on other diseases. And this is particularly important in places where, because of demography, i.e. a very young population, the mortality rate for COVID is relatively low, but because of other disease burdens, i.e. high incidence of malaria or HIV, the mortality rate from other diseases is relatively high. I think it is quite likely that we will see when we eventually get all the figures that the impact of COVID in some countries, particularly in Africa, the knock-on impact on other diseases will have been more significant than the direct impact. The second thing is to both use the capacities and infrastructure we've put in place to fight other diseases for the response to COVID, and that is what most low and middle income countries have done, but also to manage the resource conflict in that. And so, for example, we have been providing countries with COVID test kits that work on the machines that we funded for TB, but we're doing so on condition with the countries that they also have a plan for how to sustain the TB testing. And sometimes that includes, we have supplied several hundred new machines to countries to enable them to do both. Yeah, the effort has been amazing and the innovative ways to, to come up with new solutions has also been impressive. An additional question is, during the webinar, you were talking about the aftermath of the COVID-19 pandemic and the potential risk, especially for low and middle income countries that have limited resources, as you mentioned, to fight COVID. What can we do as uh, international stakeholders to mitigate the risk of COVID-19 being to some point 
contained as a public health threat in rich countries, but still affect millions in poor, vulnerable, and marginalized communities? Well, I do think this is a real danger because if we're honest with ourselves, this is what we've done with tuberculosis and HIV. These were once global pandemics. They are no longer significant public health threats in the rich countries in the world, but they are still killing millions of people in the poorer countries and more marginalized communities. And they've somehow not been recategorized. They're not thought of as health security threats anymore. They're thought of much more in the language of you know, humanitarian or global solidarity or development issues. And I do think there is a risk that once COVID stops killing large numbers of people in rich countries and comes off the front pages of newspapers and isn't talked about too much by politicians, it slides into the same recategorization. Now, I think the way we avoid that is by making the issues of access and leaving no one behind front and center right now. So that whenever a new tool to fight COVID is made available, we immediately make it available in the poorer communities in the world. And we make that the norm and that the language of no one is safe until everyone is safe, that we leave no one behind, become a core part of the way we think about the COVID response. And I think we have to keep reinforcing that because the pressures in the rich countries to sort of declare victory, go back to normal, and then as far as possible, forget about what hasn't yet been done, will be extremely strong. Definitely. And in poor countries, the, the dynamics between TB, malaria, and COVID, there will be higher stakes there. I know that you have worked in fintech and other technology-related topics. So my last question is, given that in recent years, technologies such as artificial intelligence have advanced incredibly fast, do you think there is room to leverage them in the fight against COVID-19, TB, and malaria? And well, have you pursued any projects related to this in the fight against AIDS, TB, and malaria? Well, one of the benefits actually of COVID and you know, COVID has been full of negatives, but one of the benefits has been that it's been an enormous stimulus to innovation. We have people using digital modes for consultation, for interaction, far more than they were doing at the beginning of this year. And the way people are thinking about data is very, very different. The global health world, and I come from the world of finance, and one of the things that has always rather shocked me about the global health world is global health world is very accepting of having old data, data that's several months, maybe even a year old. And certainly in the world of finance, that kind of doesn't go very well. And, and you see the contrast and the way things are evolving. If you just compare TB and COVID-19, these two diseases will in all likelihood kill roughly the same number of people this year. TB will kill something around 1.5 million people. And if you extrapolate from current death rates from COVID, it'll be somewhere in the same ballpark. But there the difference ends. On January 1, 
2021, we will have on our internet pretty good estimates of how many people in the world died of COVID-19 in 2020. We'll have it broken down by country and many places by age and all this sort of stuff. To get that data for TB, you'll have to wait until October because the systems and processes that work in the global health world take that long. Now, I hope that what we see with COVID will be impetus to massively accelerating the way we capture and display and then analyze data. Because you can't use AI tools on data that is 10 months old. You need to have fresh and accurate data. So I do think we're going to see an explosion of innovation catalyzed by COVID. But the key is to make sure that we then leverage it for the fight against other diseases. Well, that was so interesting, Peter. Thank you so much for joining us. You can find more information about Peter Sand's work at the Global Fund to fight AIDS, TB, and malaria at theglobalfund.org. And you can follow him on Twitter at Peter A. Sands. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you back next week.